Welcome back to Partnerships Unraveled, the podcast where we unravel the mysteries of partnerships and channel on a weekly basis. My name is Rick van der Bos, and I'm the CEO and founder of Chenext, and I'm here together with my co-host, Alex Whitford, VP Partners at Chenext. Alex, how are you doing today? Yeah, really excited to be back. I had a had a holiday for a couple of weeks, which the, the viewers won't know about, but yeah, so it's been a couple of weeks, so excited to be back at it. Yeah, likewise. Uh, what do you think about our new background here? Uh, yeah, it looks really good. Shout out to uh, Juan, who's our creative and uh, does a lot of our designing. I think he's done a, an awesome job. Yeah. Yeah. So even more reason to check out the podcast <laughs> on YouTube as well, or watch your videos on LinkedIn, because then you can see uh, the partnerships and Ravel background as well. Typical Rick, always selling. Love to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, looking forward to today. And I think especially uh, because it's a topic lately that's very hot for a lot of our customers, but also a lot of the conversations we're having in the channel. How do you channel together with the big players? So who are the biggest channel partners? Let's focus a little bit on EMEA today, uh, maybe for our listeners there as well. Maybe it would be nice for you, Alex, to to give us a few examples of what the biggest partners are in the in the EMEA, but also why would you want to work with them as a SaaS or a hardware vendor? Yeah, for sure. So I think um, let's start with the why, and then we can we can sort of target the who. So um, I'm, I'm sure most of our uh, listeners are familiar with the eighty twenty rule, which is typically eighty percent of your revenue is going to come from twenty percent of your partners, and so why focusing on key strategic relationships is because that's going to dominate the majority of your revenue, right? And so profiling accurately those partners that are going to deliver 80% of your revenue and do that very effectively, that's really what the sort of top end of channel management is all about. Um, And if you can deliver that effectively, ultimately you're going to build a very successful channel. Yeah, and then two of two of the like uh, abbreviations that come to mind for me immediately are GSIs, global system integrators, but also DMRs, direct market resellers. What uh, specifically like what what's the difference between the two of them, and am I missing any there? Yeah, so the the only other one I would probably add in is your sort of large telecom provider, so your BT, Deutsche Telekom, those guys. Um, but yeah, absolutely, if you focus on your top DMRs or IT resellers who have a massive volume play. Um, then your GSIs, the likes of a Deloitte or an Accenture, they um, typically deal within the super enterprise end users. Um, and then your service providers, your BTs, your telecom providers, those guys, between those, those typically across hardware and software encapsulate the very, very top performing partners. And we're not talking about a lot, right? The top performing DMRs in, in uh, Europe, there's probably eight at the top performing telecoms providers is probably about six and the top performing gsi is probably about four um and so being in that list well congratulations to those partners clearly you're smashing it but also targeting that list it's hyper competitive because everyone is aware of who those partners are um there's a long runway to deliver success and then ultimately what you want to be able to do is manage that all together and if you can compete in that really complex environment you're you're really onto a winner then yeah, so a couple of examples of DMRs, indeed, a Bechtle, a Dustin, companies like that. Do you have one from the UK? Yeah, so, so the big three in the UK are very much our CDW, Softcat, and, and Insight. And I think, you know, between them, it's something crazy. It's like two and a half billion in revenue, right? Um, so you can imagine, but they sell between them you know, thousands of vendors. So it's always really funny when I hear vendors talk about those partners. They're like, yep, so X is our top partner, really important to us. And I'm always like, but how important 
uh, they to you versus you to them because you know most of the top part most most vendors will say their top partner in the UK CTW awesome but now it's about how do you maximize the relationship between you because you might find them incredibly valuable but you've also got to make sure they find you incredibly valuable and sometimes that's about you know delivering lots of revenue sometimes about that's fulfilling a niche sometimes that's because of really good relationship there's lots of ways to make sure that relationship is two ways and not just there are cash cow we like milking them which sometimes having no quite a few people who work in strategic positions within those businesses they can feel a bit that way you just want us because we access we've got access to the end users you want yeah i think you're touching upon something interesting there where on the one hand, indeed, they are your top partners in terms of revenue, but on the other hand, they maybe have hundreds of vendors that they are actually selling. So I think before we dive into solutions, into how to win with those big partners, maybe first have a look at the challenges. Like, what are the challenges there? Like, if you want to work with the CDWs, the Bechtles, the Dustins of this world. Yeah, so the the the, the first challenge that you've always got to look at is, yes, uh, they're your top partner, but they are probably your direct competitor's top partner as well, right? Because everyone, if I just take a CDW, is well aware on just how awesome a business CDW is. And so, you know, let's, I don't know, let's just pick three. So Microsoft, Google, and AWS all have a cloud model consumption, Azure, and whatever else. Well, they're probably, I don't know for sure, but I'm assuming they're probably one of the top AWS partners, one of the top Microsoft partners, and one of the top Google partners. And so the very first thing you've got to do is, well, how do I ensure that we're delivering value, but also recognize that they're also selling my competitor? So we're in a, we're in a foot race so that I can prove that my solution is going to make them more successful and we're easier to work with and whatever else against my direct competitors. So you've got to always have that understanding in mind that it's not just proving that we're great as a vendor, but proving that we're better as a vendor. Uh, I think that's why you see that a lot of channel teams actually have dedicated account managers on those accounts because they are so large. They are these partners, these DMRs, these GSIs, they are in tenders, they are in huge inbound uh, uh, sales cycles as, as well there. And then what determines whether they are going to position this vendor or the other vendor. And I think there's a very important role there for relationship building as well to really build that relationship because that's what where you eventually want to go as soon as they do get the request from a potential customer that they position you there in their total solution. Yeah, and that and that's about building a strategic go-to-market within the partner and also very much understanding, hang on, they could also position our direct competitor. So I've got to under, I've got to make sure they understand when to position us and when to position them. And sometimes vendors who do this particularly poorly will basically be like always position us. My tactic has always been to be very proactive around, hey, here's where we see our unique value, but by the way, they will win in this one instance. And so I'm very proactive where I'll be like, no, no, if these very particular set of circumstances come up, position position the competitor, right? Because that's where they provide value. And what that always does is it positions me as an authentic, trusted advisor. Whereas if I'm just, we're always the best. Yeah, probably not though, are you? Yeah, so being super honest about your strengths and your weaknesses, and the more honest you're about that, the more success you will also have with those large partners. Yeah, and and my advice to any sort of channel professional 
one, you you inherently get a lot of value. So I know lots of salespeople who they've managed BT for 15 years and they've managed it at 15 different vendors, right? Because they get hired because they're the really good guy that does BT really well and then they move to another job and they maintain those relationships. So it's no good just saying, oh, we're the vendor that's always brilliant because actually your value to the business is how good a relationship you build with that customer. And that might be your customer for a long time. So don't burn that bridge by, you know, being a bit fast and loose with the truth. You want to be a trusted advisor because then when you move to the next business, you're still that trusted advisor. Yeah, I fully agree there. And I think we've been talking a lot about uh, how do you actually find the right end users and what do you think they're like when you look at those type of partners? Like what type of end users are they selling to? Yeah, so that, that's a good question, right? So it, it does depend on whether it's GSI or or um, uh, or uh, whether it's your SI or it's your DMR. There, there, is a, there is a bit of variance in there. But ultimately, it's typically the large end users, right? The, the, the majority of that business, there is also an 80-20 rule when it comes to partners. 80% of their revenue will come from 20% of their end users. And typically that's uh, top weighted towards, you know, your large super enterprises, right? That's ultimately where they're trying to gear towards. Service provider can typically be slightly different because they're selling internet services and telephony and there's a whole ecosystem that they tie that product to attach into. But if I look at the likes of an Accenture or a Deloitte, now we're talking about the largest end users in the, you know, your Unilevers, your Nestle's, the, the biggest end users in the world. And they sell less deals, but significant value to those deals. So really the heavy enterprise government and, and instances like that. And full suite of technology as well, right? So it's not just, oh, we sell this product. It's, no, we do IT services and deployment right across the enterprise. And they're going to sell as much product into those end users as possible. So if I'm p building a go-to-market into that, I'm making sure I understand that go-to-market vehicle for showing how we can play into that space. Yeah, so for like, for example, you said uh, Unilever, like where you really look at that, they really do the full headquarter of Unilever, but then like everything, like like they, they do the laptops, the, the instances, everything around. Yeah, so it's going to be like networking and security and telephony services and communication and and really the whole gamut. And the, the, the whole value of that, that services model is come to us and we will do all of the complex deployment. Now, you know, I think certain people were, well, yeah, that's obvious and, and, and fairly easy to do. But just think about it. They're going to have, I don't know, 300 global sites that all require the same networking architecture, the same security, the same deployment, the same uh, m uh, the same management software. It's it's an incredibly complex deployment. So those those types of partners do a fantastic job. And it's about understanding how you can provide value into that relationship and here's the key piece. If you can't say so, because it's a very long runway to get one of those partners off the ground. And guess what? If it fails, that bridge is burnt forever, not just for that vendor, but most likely for the person that's done the deal as well. And so I see so often, I think we even discussed it in a, in a meeting the other day, these massive partnerships require, like can be years to get off the ground. But then when they work, they become your best partner globally and you look like an absolute hero for making it happen. But if it doesn't work, you've not just wasted your own time, you've also wasted theirs. And it can be really, really painful to then have to unpick that. Yeah, and then when there's such a long road ahead of you, like I always like to think, okay, where do you start? 
like if you look at such such a company like let's take an inside cdw or maybe a deloitte and accenture they are such huge conglomerates like where do you enter yeah so my my advice is enter at the top right so you you've got to there's no wangling your way in from a you know a junior salesperson no you go in as senior as you possibly can understand their strategic direction over the next three to five years so they may is a, is a really good example covid hit and people went right we need to understand what our video strategy for the next five years is going to look like and so then you want to go right what are you positioning today versus what are you going to position further down the line and how can we be a part of that either as a major vendor or as an attachment play into a sort of ecosystem solution model so the key thing I would do if I was talking to sort of a GSI or one of the largest partners in um, in EMEA is understand their strategic direction over the next three to five years to work out if and how we could play a role in that growth. So one that I'm very familiar, obviously, Zoom was a hot button topic through COVID. And so a lot of our messaging was to understand, right, how are you going to position Microsoft and Google and can Zoom be an attachment, can Zoom be a compete, and how do we work that into a tapestry? And there were frankly, very large and valuable partners that we walked away from because we felt that we couldn't or they didn't want to have a, an enormous strategic play. And if you're only going to be a bit part, then it's actually such a lot of work to get one of those partners off the ground to then be their third or fourth offer. And for other partners, they wanted to be the primary offer. So it's great. Let's pour resource into those relationships. And I think what's very critical when you're looking at that sort of tapestry of those top performing partners, focus is critical. It requires so much work to get one of them off the ground. And inevitably, if you do it well, they will become your largest partner. There's no point in trying to recruit all of them. Do one job with one of them very, very well. And guess what happens? You know, if Deloitte starts seeing that Accenture is doing X and Y millions and millions with a vendor, Deloitte suddenly become a lot more interested in having that conversation. The same is true of a CDW and a Softcat. They pay attention to the key success criteria of their competitors like any of us do. And so make huge waves with one of them and the rest will inevitably start to follow. Yes, and I think with those very large partners, you really need to be obsessed with what their business is about indeed. So their strategic positioning for their company, but also... What vendors are they already working with? What are the top vendors in terms of revenue that they are doing that with? Because if you can position your uh, proposition somewhere around that, that might actually be very interesting. If you know that Deloitte is doing an insane amount of revenue with AWS already, and you can position your product besides it, and it makes it a very easy sell for them to top to, to put it on top of it, but then also indeed with good margins, with a high revenue and the customer very quickly understands the value proposition because you help them to do that. I think then you will have a very big mark on such a partner. Yeah, <clears throat> and, it, and it makes complete sense that you take that full understanding of their go-to-market model because again, it's about having complete humility about the deal they think, and as they very much should, Deloitte's priorities are Deloitte's. They're not your priorities. So you need to understand how you fit into their go-to-market and not just think, oh, well, we're a big vendor, they should sell us. No, why should they sell you? Is it a fit both ways? And if so, great, how do we then achieve? And if it's not, walk away and be proactive. You're going to gain a lot more respect in that architecture if you say, hang on a second, I don't think we can be 
of the right level of value to you. So I'm going to pull the plug on this. People very much respect that you're trying to save them time. And I think that's how you really build a relationship within uh, and a reputation within channel is knowing when to drive forward and also knowing when to walk away. Yeah, I, th- I think so as well. And I think maybe another challenge um, um, that pops in my mind is there's there are such large companies, usually with a, a bit smaller partners, like they have very loyal employees. They stay there for a very, for a very long time. But with the larger ones, there's probably a much higher turnover. Like, how do you handle that? So that's actually one of the key reasons why, you know, if it was me and I was giving sort of mentorship advice um, to sales professionals who are looking at GSIs and, and sort of service providers, is why you need to go in at the top. Because, yes, there is a certain amount of churn within larger businesses, right? Churn percentage grows as you add more and more people. Um, but what's so critical is at the top, churn is actually really reduced because they have great jobs, they have great positions, the businesses are growing over time. And so if you're going in and you manage to get to the right level and you're speaking to global sales leader, regional sales leaders, regional marketing leaders, those don't move. They're there for years and years. And so building the relationship there means that actually in five years time, you're probably still going to be speaking to the same people or they're still in very high powered, high uh, leverage jobs. And so that's why you have to target that level because absolutely, I'm sure we've all made the mistake. You start speaking to some junior salesperson, junior marketing person, build a great relationship and hey, guess what? They got a better job. So suddenly you've got to do all of that work again. It's, It's actually not a very effective way to continually drive impact. Yeah, and that's really a pity. So, so, and from your experience, the the top level management they are there for a much longer period, like at those uh, type of companies. Yes, for sure. And also, if they move, they're probably going to move to a similar business. You know, it does happen, Softcat to CDW or Accenture to Deloitte, that sort of competitive landscape. And so, having access to that C level or director level um, capability is going to stand you in good stead, because as we know from from channel, right? It's a, it's a small industry, realistically. And so, you know, this CMO ends up as that CMO and that C, uh, sales director ends up over there. And it's that sort of continuous movement. So wherever possible, try and build those relationships at the most senior level as you can. And for any of your sort of more more new channel account managers, go and ask for mentorship advice. That's, that's, that's sort of my pragmatic way to get access into that group. If you can understand, look, I'm looking to develop. I'm 15 years away from being a sales director and I'm just starting out my channel career. I got, I certainly did and it's something I continue to do so today, go and find the most senior people I can understand their journey and understand what I can learn from them and how I can provide them value. Sometimes it's, you know, just a nice coffee and a, a go for a beer and understand how we can foster that relationship. That's something I do outside of working hours, but it's also stand me in good stead because I get introductions every now and again for, for key partnerships and key networks because they've built their own network over time yeah it's everywhere in business right but even more in the channel like your network and relationships are crucial there to uh, to grow personally but also with your channel team and with your company yeah it's 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 something we we talk about a lot in in our business is actually the network effect of the channel is better than the network effect of typical end users because for example hsbc don't talk to barclays right rabobank don't talk to kpn necessarily but 
Logitech do talk to HP, like there is a fostered relationship because people move between those businesses very regularly and they might be building alliance strategies. So that network is so important to build both from a, from a business level, but also from a strategic, strategic career development perspective. Yeah, I agree there. I think I want to go uh, back one more time to, uh, we talked about attachment sale already. I think that's an excellent way to enter into the into those larger partners. But another one which I really want to emphasize is having a very strong end user brand yourself. Because I think one of the best ways to get the attention of DMRs, of GSIs, uh, the Accentures, the Deloitte's, the CDWs, the Bechtles, is by making sure you have a brand that is very hot amongst end users. Because if end users start asking about you, that's when yeah, like you really get on the radar there with the sales teams, with senior management. And I actually love where you work with Zoom. It was crazy, of course, as soon as that happened. Like it's a must to work with Zoom. It's not a ni- nice to have for such a DMR or anyone anymore, but it's a must because customers need it. They need that solution. They are asking for it. And of course, this is a very unique situation, but think about it like that as a brand. Like how can you create as much traction as possible in the end user market so actually end users start asking about you to those partners. And that's actually the best trigger to start with uh, DMRs and, and GSIs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we, we've talked a lot about the two ways to generate business is end user pull, so generate great end user demand, or channel push, where you get channels to drive your messaging into, into end users. Obviously, the most effective model is do both very, very well. But the more valuable of the two is end user pull, right? If you can suddenly get the huge tailwind that, you know, that Zoom, Microsoft Teams had through COVID, where suddenly everyone needs their product. Yes, it's, 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 it's lightning in a bottle, right? It's impossible to organically create that big of a tailwind. But if you've got a really good product and a really good messaging and you can take that to the right decision makers within end users, that's going to help create a channel for you. And especially the the DMRs who sell lots and lots of vendors, end user pull is the most valuable asset to get their attention. Yeah, because especially because they are so large, they get a lot of inbound requests as well from customers. And if like we spoke about it in the beginning, like what determines whether they position you or another solution, well, it's a whole different ballgame as soon as they have already asked for you. Then it's like, hey, they want this, and then we build a solution around that. And that makes it so much more uh, convenient and for the end user there, but also uh, much more security for you as a vendor that it's actually your brand that will be positioned in that offer. Yeah, we, we you know, uh, lots of channel strategies that I've built, we will have a particular go-to-market message about what we would call switch sell, which is you've asked, you're asking for a technology type, we'll make sure you're positioning ours. It's very easy if someone says, I want a video solution, and then you can go, well, it's Microsoft or Zoom, but I've, I've done lots of great work, so they're going to position X vendor. Switch selling almost drops to zero when people ask for a brand. You know, it's very easy. Let's just take cars. If I go in looking for a Mercedes, guess what? I'm walking out with Mercedes. If I walk in asking for a car, well, yeah, then there's some flexibility. So generating that end user demand to pick a particular brand, that's so powerful. Yeah, I fully agree there. And and then I think finally, uh, if I think about working with DMRs and GSIs, one of the crucial things as well is make it easy to work for, with you. Uh, like we have a full episode number two about removing the friction. It counts a lot in the channel, but even more when you're working with the top partners in the world. And I think if you look at that, the most important thing to remember 
is that those companies are so large that they have all their own systems and processes in place, even much more than the smaller uh, channel partners there. So they have their own learning management system for training. They use their own CRM where they track everything. They use their own marketing channels, etc. And it doesn't suit with a portal if you position it like that to them because they have hundreds of vendors indeed. So that would mean for all the training, for all the account mapping, for all the deal regs, for all the uh, uh, marketing activities, they would have to go to all those separate portals and they simply won't do that. And I think that's where you should really have a look at. You, there's a lot of ecosystem software players coming up as well where you make it much easier, especially for GSIs and DMRs as well, that they can actually extract your trainings materials from your portal and bring it into the learning management systems of the DMRs and the GSIs. Or you have one single central hub for them where they can manage all their marketing activities. Or for example, with a crossbeam or a, a reveal there where you can actually do account mapping together very easily and build it up like that. And I think that's crucial as well in your strategy towards DMRs and GSIs, like make it as easy as possible to work with you. Yeah, it's not so much remove the friction, it's almost remove the ego, right? They don't care about how big a vendor you are. They are a macro partner, they're a Goliath. They have their own systems. You either work with their systems or they are not gonna work with you. And so it doesn't matter how big you are, HP, Microsoft, none of them. Deloitte work the way Deloitte are going to work. And so your job is to ensure that you've got a great sales strategy, a great marketing strategy, a great technical strategy, but your operational strategy has to be bulletproof. It has to completely align with their systems. There's no there's no point going, oh yeah, if you can just please set up a password and log into this website. It's never going to happen. They are going to use their systems. So remove the ego and that's going to stand you in good stead. I really like that one. Remove the ego there. And that that's ecosystem thinking, right? Going from portal to platform. Yeah, I've, I, I, yeah, nice one again. Uh, I think to uh, uh, to summarize maybe for today's uh, today's podcast as well, and if you really want to win with the large channel partners, the largest in the world, first you need to build very strong relationships as high and senior as possible because those are the people who stay there for a longer period of time. Secondly, you need to be super curious and find out how are they positioning themselves for the upcoming years, who are their most important vendors, etc. So you can position your company very strong there. A very good opportunity is through attachment sales. So what are their largest vendors and propositions and how can you make it easy for them to sell that with them? A strong end-user brand is very important there because that can really trigger DMRs and GSIs coming to you. And last but not least, really removing the friction or even better, removing the ego by embracing ecosystem thinking where you really put all your uh, content, etc., and proactively bring it to the systems of your partners so you really make cooperating very easy. And I think if you do those five things well, you are off to a really good start with your GSIs and DMRs. Uh, yeah, simple as that. Nice and easy. Just roll it out, right? Awesome. Well, I want to thank you again for uh, for listening today uh, uh, for our audience. And I, if you liked it, please send us a message on LinkedIn or share it with a colleague. We always love to get your feedback and uh, hope to see you next week. <laughs>